Welcome to episode six of the I Can't Believe You Read podcast. Good morning, or evening, or afternoon, or whenever the hell you're listening to this. It is, what is it, Friday the 8th of May? How is it the 8th already? We're already deep in May. Uh, Autumn weather. It's been sunny, and then it's been raining. And then it's been sunny again. It's been fantastic. I love autumn. I love autumn weather. I love watching the season change. So cool. Literally. Freezing my ass off. Wearing tracksuit pants again. Wearing jumpers again. I love winter fashion as well. So I love the season change. And then we go into winter and we get to wear big coats again. And boots. And yeah, there's nothing, nothing bad about a season. Uh, podcast where we talk about reading and writing and fighting and all sorts of good things. Um, I have actually spent my morning talking to Shannon about uh, a game called Stardew Valley. And um, we just got chit-chatting about games and the games that we've played and, and the influence and what's the purpose. So we might actually sit down and have a bit of a chat about games and movies and other stuff as well which will be really really cool um, because whoa there's a chopper going directly overhead um don't want to limit yourself you know when it comes to culture and all that sort of stuff uh well i hope everyone's good uh talking about reading for this week i finished a book uh which has absolutely blown my mind i had a copy on my shelf of um farewell summer by ray bradbury and i just felt like reading some Bradbury again, as I sometimes do. And I couldn't really remember Farewell Summer, so I picked it up and I was like, yeah, I'll I'll give this a crack. It's got autumn leaves all over it. It's autumn, seasonal, good stuff. And as with a lot of books, like I don't remember when I first read them. I don't remember uh, clearly what they're about all the time or why I read them or whatever. And I know I've read this, but I didn't realize that it was actually a sequel to another book um, called Dandelion Wine. Dandelion Wine. Um, and so I was just kind of like, all right, I, I, I don't want to read the sequel without reading the first book again. And I had one of those flowy moments where I was like, you know, I'm going to go out book shopping today. And I know I'm going to find this book. And I went off to do something else and there was a bookstore nearby and I went over to it and it was closed due to the, uh, the COVID-19. And I was like, that's okay. Maybe, maybe it's not for today. So I went somewhere else to do a little bit of market shopping. And there's this amazing bookshop at the uh, Adelaide Central Markets called, uh, I think it's called the Adelaide Pop-Up Bookshop. I might actually do a... A little video on it, on my series of videos about secondhand and independent bookshops around Adelaide. And some days you just get the vibes, man. You get the flow and you're like, oh, I'm going to find something cool in here today. And uh, Shannon picked up a fantastic book of Monet prints. It was really cool and I was just browsing around and... As luck or fate 
or the fact that it's an old book and you're probably going to find it in almost any secondhand bookshop. I found a uh, an old, old copy of Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. And the copy's so old that it actually has the first, I don't know how many pages, torn out of it. So um, I don't know when it was published, this copy. Uh, I know that the actual book was published in like the 1950s or 1960s. Um, it's published by Corgi Books and it's got, yeah, a really irrelevant picture on the front, which I kind of love. Um, so I, I sat down and I, I was like, man, I, I'll see how we go. You know, I know it's the first book. I can't remember reading it. And as I was reading it, I realized that I'd never read it, which which was fantastic because it's really difficult when you get to the age of 32 to find books that, um, I, I think it's best described in my head as like a shotgun blast. They just blow your mind, you know? Um, they make you feel the same way that you felt about books when you were just first starting reading and you would find a book and you'd just be like, you, you just couldn't put it down. Now, I don't know whether this is a common experience amongst readers, um, but I, when I was younger, uh, as a teenager and a young man, when I found a book that I loved, we were talking about Magician by Raymond E. Feist last week. That's the type of book where when I found it, I literally would not sleep because I wouldn't want to put it down. I would read all night uh, just devouring these books and as I got older and older and I, I read and read and read you, you kind of read the majority of kind of what's in your wheelhouse and then you start to expand but that shotgun blast moment where you find a book that you just can't put down you know you you would rather not eat you would rather not sleep you would rather not talk to your beautiful girlfriend you would rather do this more than anything those moments um i have found harder and harder to come by i imagine it's what heroin junkies feel i've never been a heroin junkie but they say that you're always chasing that first high and you never find it again and I find that it, it's it's like a similar experience. You, you get this whack from a book where it just knocks knocks you into a different dimension. And you realize that the, the person post this book will not be the same person that was there before. And you're always chasing that high with books. Well, I, find, I know that I am. I'm always chasing that high. I'm always chasing that oh shit moment. I'm always chasing that hammer of the gods moment where you feel like everything is just connected uh, through this book. And I, I don't know whether that's a common <laughs> experience of people reading books, but I know that it's my experience very occasionally these days. And I reread books to try and chase the dragon, try and chase the memory of how it felt to read that book for the first time. And I know that reading Dandelion Wine is one of those books 
where I will read it again and I will read it again. And I am excited to read it to my son when he's a little bit older and, and to just try and chase that feeling of reading it for the first time. I literally lost a day where I just sat down and, and, and read this book, which I haven't done in a really long time, man. It was, it was, it was so unbelievable. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy that I got to experience that again. Um, the book itself is, is, is very simple in terms of, uh, it's almost, it's almost a book of cliches, uh, in 2020. Um, it's set in 1928 in a fictional town called Greentown, Illinois, which was sort of based from the reading I've done over the course of the week on Ray Bradbury's own hometown. And it's a story of one summer in 1928 and the, the tale of Douglas Spaulding and his little brother and all of their experiences in this town over the course of one summer in 1928. And it is absolutely magic. It's idyllic. And it's, it's soft and it's gentle and it's poetic and it's so light that you almost lose touch of it. And yet it's so dark in certain places that you revisit those, those childhood uh, fears and, and, and traumas and yet. It's as light as a butterfly wing. It is so, so powerful and so magic. Um, I think that chasing an idyllic dream of childhood is such a, is such a cool thing. And I think it's become like the, the the trauma story has become so popular in our culture the memoir of childhood trauma and horror um that i kind of forgot that there is also absolute joy and magic to be found in in childhood um and ray bradbury captures it in 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 just an absolutely masterful way I'm not going to go into too much detail about the story itself other than, yeah, just to say that it is, uh, it's just a, a sort of coming of age, a memory story of a, of a summer. Um, it's, it's fascinating to read about a time that, you know, didn't have mobile phones or air conditioners or television sets or, you know, any real sort of technology. Um, this, the, the story is kind of told almost like a, a collection of short stories all just put in this one town. Um, and there's one in particular where a man tries to invent a happiness machine. And the connection between what he tries to build and what has happened with personal computers and mobile phones is just astounding. And it I just, yeah, I read it and I just kind of sat back in my chair and had an oh shit moment. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, 
it was so wonderful to be transported to a different time, a softer time. And yet also, you know, with the knowledge that it, it wasn't a softer time, it was, this is just an idyllic version of that time, but that's okay. You know, it's okay to sometimes remember the past and childhood and other things you know, not through the lenses of the horrors of the time and the horrors of history, which we all know to be true. We all know that horrendous things have happened throughout the past. Ah, uh, another, another helicopter's going overhead. Maybe it's the same helicopter, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, the, the horror is always there, and yet the magic is also there as well I, I don't know i don't know where i'm going with this what i do know is that occasionally i find a book and it does everything for me that a book should do it transports me it changes me it changes the way that i see the world it changes the way that i view and remember the world and that is the magic of a good book and that is the magic of dandelion wine. And I feel so, so blessed to have been able to read it um, for the first time at the age of 32. A rare find. Um, I could talk about it all day. <laughs> uh, I wish I had a stack of copies of this book so that anyone I was talking to about books, I could just give them give them a copy. And I, I feel as though it may be one of those books that every time I see it on a shelf somewhere and see a new cover, I'll probably buy it because I loved it that much. And I, I treasure those memories and I treasure those, uh, those transporting feelings. Um, wow. Yeah, it was, it's a, oh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, I've also, I, I finished Dandelion Wine I read a bunch about it. Um, I read a bunch about Ray Bradbury and remembered how much I loved him as an author and as a person. And I'm so grateful that he existed uh, on this planet and that he wrote as much as he did. Um, at some point, I know that I keep kind of thinking this and so it will come to fruition. I wanna do a series of podcasts that'll be a little bit longer where I delve into authors and their histories and their kind of their collection of books. And I think Ray Bradbury is definitely on that list. I also started reading again, and this book I know that I've read before. And one of the main reasons I started reading this book again uh, is because I watched uh, Blade Runner uh, 2049 again recently and was really blown away but just how good a sci-fi movie uh, that really was. Um, so I decided to uh, start reading Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick again. Uh, a book I haven't read for many years. Um, I went through a bit of a phase, I think, in my late teens, early 20s, of reading a lot of Philip K. Dick. Um... I'm halfway, halfway through. I forgot how kind of odd a little book it is. Um, and how much fun it is. Uh, it's very, very different to the movies. 
Uh, I love the the tines of the the animals and um, and how important real animals are and the the empathy machines and the the gripping nature of the paranoia of uh, what is real and what is not real. And if you're a fan of the Blade Runner movies, um, if you've seen the original Harrison Ford or the re... Is it a remake? No, I would say it's a sequel. Uh, the sequel, uh, Blade Runner 2049. And you haven't read the the book on, on which it was originally based. Um, look, it's not the same. Uh, they did a really great job of taking... Um, kind of the essence of the book and turning it into uh, films that kind of stand on their own merit. Um, but just for a look into the genesis of uh, a lot of big sci-fi ideas and a lot of cool uh, mixtures of genres and, and tastes. And also you get, oh man, you, you get a real sense of the drugs that Mr. Philip K. Dick was on. You know, you can feel the the speed in his writing and the kind of almost twitchy, paranoid. Is it real? Is it not real? Does it matter? You know, uh, reality bending um, science fiction. Yeah, it's just a really cool book. Um, and it's been a lot of fun, uh, to start rereading that. Um, the other, so I should have that finished hopefully by the end of the weekend. And then next week, I'll probably only have one book to talk about because I'm about to start reading, um, Frank Herbert's June again, because, um, I think there's another movie being made, which I'm very excited about. Um, and I remember June and the impact it had on me. So I'm very excited to reread that again. And I feel like I'm just kind of reading a bunch of sci-fi to kind of prep my brain to jump back into that world because it's such a big book. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, uh, do Android's dream of electric sheep, um, halfway through an easy book to read. Uh, but again, a book that you can read a bunch of times and just kind of keep delving into. Um, and if you haven't seen the Blade Runner movies, they're, they're, they're classics for a reason. That first one is a classic for a reason. I mean, A, Harrison Ford, possibly the most handsome actor of all time. I'm going to throw that out there. Uh, he is Indiana Jones. He is Han Solo. And also uh, Deckard from Blade Runner. Um but just the, the the stylistic world that was built in that original movie is so fucking cool. So that's, that's what I've been reading. Um, I've also, I, I've persisted uh, with the Fritz Lieber short stories, the collection that I have. Um, I found one of them unreadable and the rest very, very, very readable. So that's fantastic when it comes to short work. I'm reading one at the moment that is that is absolutely bizarre. It's about um, uh, time-traveling demons who are fighting an endless war outside of the realm of the current cosmos. And it's kind of set in a bar slash whorehouse for demons when they've finished a stint of battle. It's 
absolutely fucking bonkers and an absolute trip. And when Fritz Lieber is, is bad, he's very, very bad. And when he's good, he's very, very good. Um, and this story is just, yeah, it's, it's, it's just really cool. Um, so that's what I'm kind of <laughs> reading in between, uh, which is fantastic. Um, so, uh, that's what I've been reading this week. Go and pick up Dandelion Wine. If you're looking for a little bit of, uh, of escapism in this strange time that we currently find ourselves in and the video games just aren't quite doing it and staring at Reddit or Instagram isn't quite doing it and you've watched everything on Netflix, go and go and grab a copy of Dandelion Wine and escape from this reality for just a little bit of time. I promise you it'll be magic. And if it's not, that's okay. Because they're just books and everyone's journey within them is unique and different. And that's the power of them. Speaking of unique and different journeys, um, uh, my beautiful girlfriend grabbed a couple of books off the shelf. Uh, Zed for Zachariah by Robert C. O'Brien and The Wasp Factory by the late, great Ian Banks or Ian M. Banks if you were reading his science fiction. Um, I'll start with Zed for Zachariah. Zed for Zachariah came into my life um, only recently. It is a, it's an older book. It was written in just opening up the front cover. First written in 1975. And I had never, I don't think I'd ever even heard of it before I met my girlfriend. And um, if you meet me, I do talk about books quite a lot and uh, try and encourage people to read quite a lot and uh, ask people a lot of questions about what they like reading and why they like reading it and what they've read. And this was a book that um, my girlfriend introduced to me. She read it in school and had uh, amazingly fond memories of this book. She hadn't read many books and this was a book that that stuck in her mind. Um, And so uh, I, I asked to borrow it and I sat down and read it and it is a, it's a wonderful, paranoid, uh, post-apocalyptic tale about a, I'm trying to remember clearly, a, a, a young woman who is living alone in a kind of utopic valley, you know, in a world that's been absolutely destroyed by atomic radiation. And at some point, uh, a man arrives in a in a radiation suit, pulling a cart from memory. And then it is a, a story told about their interaction, and it is it is simple, and it is gripping. Sorry, I'm just trying to remember. I remember when 
he starts to turn on her, the, the scientist who arrives in the idyllic valley. And the, 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 the nastiness of it all. Um, and it's a fantastic book. It's, it's a very, you know, it's a very, um, I, I think true and kind of scary look at, at what might happen if the nuclear weapons went off and very few people survived and how they would act and what their kind of moral compass would be. Um, they made a movie of this book and I haven't seen it uh, from what I understand it wasn't great and it wasn't very true to the original story which I find absolutely bizarre because um, it, it the story actually kind of reminded me a little bit in the feel of it of um, Stephen King's Misery and just a great set piece of having two people and a battle of wills in a kind of place that you you can't leave, which I think is just a really great backdrop for a story. Like you, you take uh, two people and you, you throw them into a bizarre situation uh, with a backdrop where either one or both of them can't leave. And then you can just allow the characters to kind of play out against this, against this backdrop. Um, which I, I think, we, you know, like, would make a, a great movie. Um, so it, it's a bit hard to talk about this book without just giving away the entire story. Um, but basically, post-apocalyptic world, destroyed by radiation, uh, a young girl surviving by herself, and the nature of man kind of coming and impacting that world, and the battle of wills that happens after that. It's a very simple book it's not um it's not very hard to read it's uh it's not very long it's not very um but it's 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 very complex um i can understand why it was uh, taught in schools it's um yeah it's very cool uh i think it's told as a from memory it's told as a diary or a journal um Sorry, I, I, I'm an R a little bit when I'm trying to remember it. But yeah, I think it's the, the girl's journal and all told from her perspective as the events unfold. Um, and that style of storytelling, um, it, it's also a little bit like World War Z in the way that it unpacks itself. Yeah, it's a cool book, Zed for Zachariah, and it opened up a lot of conversation um, and book recommendations uh, for... Uh, my uh, my future girlfriend um, and I think after that I recommended the, after I read it I recommended The Road to Her which um, we talked about so yeah really cool book really cool book great memories of that book um, if you're looking for a place to kind of start on a on a, on a post-apocalyptic journey <laughs> Z for Zachariah is a great place to start um, Ian Banks man has he written some good books uh, he, he wrote under the name Ian Banks when he was writing not science fiction and when he wrote science fiction he would write under the Monkia 
Ian Imbanks. And The Wasp Factory is one of my all-time favorite books. It was um, Ian Banks' first book that was published. Um, from memory, the history is that it was a slush, a slush pile book. So he sent it into a publisher and a very intelligent and astute worker for the publishing house uh, read it and pulled it off the slush pile and decided to publish it, which was a fantastic idea um it's not a, an easy book to read i'll warn you that right from the start it is dark and it is graphic and it is grotesque in certain sections um there is a real paranoia in it and a real sense of just horrible things always sort of happening um, it's told from the perspective of a young person who seems to have some very sociopathic tendencies um, and who, who lives on a kind of island with a very odd father and who keeps receiving phone calls from a, a brother who seems to be quite insane and who has escaped from a hospital or an asylum and is getting closer and closer to home. And this young person has a wasp factory up in the attic and wages wars on the island and these bizarre battles against nature and it is a real exploration of the human psyche and of the bizarre behavior of human beings and of the bizarre behavior of families and what we keep in our history and behind closed doors and it is as close to a, a, a perfect book in my memory as I, as I can kind of, as I've ever found. It has, which I won't really even go into any detail, uh, an amazing plot twist. Um, and it just grabs you and drags you into a world that you kind of always either knew existed or suspected it existed the madness and the insanity and the violence and the kind of grotesque insane behavior of people and it draws you along and and twists and turns and it leaves you a very changed person at the end of it um the wasp factory uh, yeah, fuck me, it's a good book. Um, I've read a bunch of Ian Banks. Uh, the Crow Road stands out in my head. Um, I haven't read a whole lot of his sci-fi. I found I found his sci-fi a little bit paint by numbers. Um, which is fine. 
there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but it's his it's his other books for me that really stood out. Um, Stonemouth, The Quarry. Yeah, like he's written some absolutely fantastic books. Um, consider uh, Philebus is the... I think it was the first sci-fi book that he, he wrote. Anyway, if you haven't read Ian Banks, um, start with Ian Banks, not Ian M. Banks. Start with The Wasp Factory because you only get to read it once for the first time. Uh, set aside some time. Turn the lights down low. And uh, just enjoy the journey because it's, it's, it's a fucking mad ride. <laughs> Um, and, and I promise you that uh, it, it will freak you out. And like I say, you only get to read it for the first time once. So don't look it up. Don't, don't Google it. Don't go on Wikipedia. Don't try and spoil this book for yourself. Find a copy of The Wasp Factory. Turn the lights down. Read it. And enjoy it. And I, I think... Once you're done, you'll always look back on it as a kind of, oh, as a moment in your reading history. It's that good. Um, yeah. It's like the direct opposite of dandelion wine in terms of uh, what what feeling it leaves you with. Uh, great, great book. Ian Banks passed away a few years ago uh, from cancer, I believe. Um which is sad uh, because there'll be no new Ian Banks books in the world. Um, but he, he left us with some, some amazing stories and some, some very brave writing. I remember he started one of his books with a, a, a funeral where the, the corpse of the grandmother explodes. Like, that's the type of writer he is. He, he just leaves you kind of going, ah, how the hell did you do that? Um, so Ian Banks, The Wasp Factory. Um, so they're the two books off the shelf this week. Zed for Zachariah, an absolutely easy book to read. A lot of fun. Uh, a great look at human nature. And Ian Banks, The Wasp Factory. That'll knock your fucking socks off. So yeah, two really good books there. Um, uh, but also The Android's Dream of Electric Sheep fantastic but yeah the the magic of dandelion wine absolutely blew me away it's been a it's been a fucking good week of reading uh writing how's that going phil uh we're up to 50 minutes a day this week and that really started to force me to um expand uh, upon a few ideas what I'm noticing is as I as I write for these longer stretches is that I can really start to explore uh, the scene a little bit more I've got a little bit more time and I'm not just um, jumping back to something and kind of going oh I've got to get this idea down really quick and, and kind of uh, smash it out quickly I can just kind of breathe with it a little bit more and I think what that's doing is it's giving me a little bit more work on the editing floor. 
but it's also allowing a few more ideas to just breathe a little bit more, blossom a little bit more. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting technique moving forward that sometimes I want to write for shorter periods of time to really just narrow my vision down and, and hit it as hard as I can and then write for longer periods of time to kind of open up veins in my head and and, and shafts in the minds of my mind um, to see what I can explore down there. And it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of a fascinating process at the moment. I really got the sense over the course of this week, writing for the 50 minutes where the finish line is. Um, I, I kind of know exactly what's going to happen next. And I can see the scenes that are coming up in my mind and I'm trying not to think about them too much. I'm trying to just let them sit right at the back of my brain in the, in the simmering pots and let them slow cook um, and get as much flavor into them as possible. Um, I, I'm at the moment I'm in the, the real road trip part of the novel and I'm just drawing on a lot of memories of driving along um, a certain stretch of Australian coastline. And I think once the COVID-19 lockdown is over, I'm going to go and drive it again as I'm editing. Just so that I'm not using my own memories as 100% and try and look at it from the eyes of this character. And then just see whether or not I'm getting it right. Um, so at the moment, I don't even know how much of what I'm writing is going to make it to the final um, cut, the final edit. But it's it's a kind of a necessary transition piece. Um, but yeah, writing for 50 minutes is, is big. And next week is 55. I think um, I'm going to get to the hour and see how I'm feeling and see whether or not I'm still finding it enjoyable. Um, like, cause I'm, I'm writing pages upon pages upon pages in that 50 minutes. And I, I feel like as long as I'm writing a thousand words a day, um, I'm, I'm very happy with that. I don't want to get to a point where it feels like a chore or a job or work. Um, and I think I'm getting right to the edge of that now. Um, but it's still fun at the moment and a lot of good stuff is coming out. Um, yeah, I, uh, I've sent a few short stories off to see whether or not I can get them published by traditional means. Um, but I'm not really writing anything else at the moment. I'm having that feeling of just being 100% involved with this book. And, um, and I don't know whether it's just because of the amount of time I'm spending on it each day or whether or not it's just because I'm in that zone of going, hey, we're, we're close to finishing this first draft. Like, you know, um, it feels like it's never going to happen. It feels like you're never going to finish it. And then you start to see the finish line and your entire world starts to just narrow down to this pinpoint. Um, 
and the excitement that, that starts to come where you're just like, holy shit, I'm like, I'm actually going to finish this. Um, I imagine that's what kind of like marathon runners might feel like. Um, I, I think I'll segue pretty easily from the writing into the training. Um, I had a experience which I, I, I can kind of tie back to the writing where I was running the other night and I got a little bit lost. It was dark <laughs> and I have a terrible sense of direction. And I was running and my headphones had died. And so I was just kind of in a bit of a breathing running zone and a thought jumped into my head. And I was like, I know that I'm going to run the 5Ks. I know I'm going to finish running because I don't really have a choice. I have to keep running to get home. But all that exists right now in this moment, you know, free of distractions in the dark, is just the meter in front of me as I keep running. That's all there is. It's just this meter in front of me that I'm just going to keep running and keep running. And the sense of the bigger picture and of the distance that I have to travel to get to the end of this run, of this goal, of this whatever. It's there and I can feel the wider sense of the purpose for what I'm doing. But the reality is that it's just the meter in front of me. And I just need to keep running that meter. And I was running and I was breathing in a very similar manner to how I've been breathing during yoga and everything kind of just centered down into this little pinpoint of there just being a meter in front of me that I could barely see in the dark. And I'm starting to get the same sense in the writing in terms of the fact that there's just an hour in front of me each day where I fill a page up with words. And the overarching picture is that this will be an entire novel but at the moment all it is is 55 minutes of writing in front of me each day and it was just a really cool moment of realizing that you know like no matter how big the mountain is in front of me I know that I'm going to keep running it. I know that I'm going to keep writing it. I know that I'm going to keep doing it. Like, it, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to stop. But to achieve that, all I need to do is just get through the next meter in front of me or get through the next hour of writing in front of me. And that may sound like, I don't know, obvious. It's been said before. And I'm sure that it has. The cliches are real for a reason. But I'd never felt that before. I know I've read about it. I know that I've heard other people say it. So I knew it to be true, but I'd never felt it before. And I felt it for the first time, and I realized that it applies to absolutely everything. You know, whether it's 
going through the steps of getting your next belt in jiu-jitsu. You know that it's a 10-year journey to get your black belt. But really, it's just going in for that next training session. It's just drilling that guard pass for the next 50 times. And everything just connects back to that moment of just running that meter in the dark. Anyway, it was a fun thought and it was a pretty amazing feeling to kind of to feel that moment that anything can be done. Anything can be achieved by just seeing the wider picture, recognizing that it's just the next step in front of you and just doing it. Um, it was the, it was a flow state and I've been I've been kind of excited to, to talk about that this week because man I, I don't often experience that flow state and I really want to try and um, and keep training and working really hard so that I keep achieving those flow states um, yeah I think I'll leave it there for this week um, the reading's really good the writing's going well um the training's going really good and life is amazing um pick up some books this week go and support your local bookshops support independent booksellers support secondhand bookshops um fuck it go and support the main bookshops as well huh um, go and buy some books, go to a comic book. Oh yeah. A friend of mine recommended some, uh, some comic books to me. So I reckon I'll make another trip there and hopefully have some new comic books to talk about next week. Um, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you to those who are reaching out and saying that they're, they're listening while they're cooking dinner or, you know, listening from overseas or whatever the case may be. I appreciate it. Uh, I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.